When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. I am your host for today, Keaton DeRocher, normally here with uh, Jake Devereaux. He is out right now, welcoming in the birth of his first child. Congrats to Jake. So joining me on this wonderful episode, this first half uh, All-Star Break episode, is uh, a voice that should sound familiar to you folks. Listen to the Red Sox on Deck podcast, Bob Osgood, stepping in for Jake. Thanks for joining, Bob. Ready to go. Calling in the right-hander. Thanks for uh, the invite, Keaton. Absolutely. And we're joined by a special guest that I'll let Bob introduce. Yeah, we've got uh, Kevin D. Domenico here, the announcer for the Salem Red Sox at Low A. Uh, Kevin, thanks for joining us, and uh, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And uh, name pronunciation there was, was flawless, so you killed it there. Awesome. I've been practicing for three hours, so I'm <laughs> glad I nailed that. Um, why don't you tell us, Kevin, kind of just about your path, um, you know, growing up, your experiences with broadcasting, if this was something that you always wanted to do, and um, how you got lined up with the, the Salem squad. 
it's something I've wanted to do. I want to say for five, ten years now. Uh, I won a contest back when I was ten years old um, to announce on the Nationals radio with Dave Jagler and Charlie Slows, and ever since then, um, it's kind of been my passion. So I started my own broadcasting uh, internet station in high school and did it throughout college. Work on the ACC network, um, doing play-by-play for baseball. Um, softball, lacrosse, you name it, plenty of Olympic sports, um, was the voice of the Pulaski Yankees on the road back in 2019, uh, New York Yankees advanced rookie affiliate, and then, yeah, just doing as much as I can, Radford, home voice of their basketball team, men's and women's, and uh, it's kind of been my passion for years now, so yes, um, that is essentially what I do and how I got into it. Yeah, that, that's great, and uh, it's funny that you say that, around 10 years old. That was about the age that I was interested in broadcasting, and I was doing some you know, local youth basketball and things like that. At that age, that was my plan, and then I was too much of a coward once I got to high school and college to follow through <laughs> with that. So respect the hell out of what you're doing there. All right, uh, Keaton, did you want to um, kind of start things off with some of the, the Salem players that we wanted to, to talk about today? Yeah, let's uh, start off with Gilberto Jimenez, one of the Red Sox top prospects, highest ranked prospect at Salem on uh, most top prospect lists. Has really struggled hitting from the right side this season, though. He's only hitting 182 right-handed without a walk and striking out 39% of the time. Uh, however, from the left side, he's hitting 337 and uh, only striking out 16% of the time. Uh, have you seen anything in person that sticks out between uh, him and his swinging from the left and right side? Yeah, first of all, well-deserving of that uh, high prospect rank in the Red Sox organization. Um, he's a guy who has a great attitude and comes out to play every day. Um, but looking at you know left versus right, it's obvious that the right-handed swing has more power. Um, and I look back to a video that had his left-handed swing and his right-handed swing side by side, and he has that leg kick with his right-handed swing that um, that obviously brings more power, and I could see uh, more projectability in the coming years and in upper levels, but the contact just hasn't been there this season. And from the left side, you know, it's a different game for him, right? So he's a guy that I think his speed translates translates to any level, right? So when he hits a ball hard even to the left side of the infield, he has a good chance of beating the ball out, even to the right side. So I think that's why you see the improved average when he's hitting lefty. Um, But definitely more power is there from the right side. Um, But it's, it's unlike every guys. It's unlike anything I've ever seen. His ability, his speed from the left side of the plate, when he lays down a bunt, I want to say it's 75% chance that he's getting down the line safely. Yeah. And it's interesting because the reports you know, as you mentioned, more power, but really was that it was kind of a plus swing from the right side um, compared to the left that that was, was preferred. And, you know, you have less opportunities to face left-handed hitting. It's probably a quarter of the at-bats that he's had, so you got to give him some more time. But, you know, is there any reason to think that he wouldn't switch hit um, for as long as he can? Probably, you know, give it another year or two at least. But do you have any reason to think that he might choose one side over the other at some point? Um, I think he, I think right now, guys, I think he has a small sample size, right? So I think he's a young guy. I think give him, like you said, one or two years um, to really discover that red-handed swing. Because like you mentioned, his sample size is low, especially facing the amount of lefties he does face in low A. So I think you give him a year or two to 
develop that swing. I think there is success in that swing. Um, but uh, I think from the left side, he's just had so much success. And if it continues that way, that it's you know lefty-heavy success, I could see him doing away with the right-handed swing. But again, give him time. On the defensive side, how has he looked in center field? You mentioned his speed, which is you know, clearly enough to play at the position. But what about the the instincts, and what have you seen from him defensively? You know, it's funny. He's not an everyday center fielder, so he'll play in right, I think, about half of the time. So Sedane Rafaela will be in center field a lot. Um, Nick Decker is now back with the club. He will be in center field a good amount as well. So he's in center field about half the time when he's playing. Um, his speed's obviously there. You see it more on the base paths, to be quite honest, and coming out of the box. Because um, Rafaela, I think, can drag down a ball maybe better than anyone on this team. Um, but uh, in right, he's been solid. He's been really solid. Um, but again, he's not your everyday center fielder in Salem. But his speed's obviously there. Great. Um, yeah, thanks. That we've we've talked a good about uh, amount about Jimenez so far this year, so it, it's good to talk. Someone's got a, a closer look at him there. Uh, that's interesting about the the bunting. Um, you know that he, that he is on most of the time with that. You said what he he does that more often from the left side, and has he been working that into his game more and more as the as the last year or two have gone on. I haven't seen him bunt yet from the from the right side. Um, but I think he just knows his his speed from the left side. I think he knows his ability, and he plays to it a lot more on the left side, right? He can you know slap it over to the left side, or to the yeah to the left side of the infield. And even when he does pull it, um, when he's hitting lefty, he can almost beat it out. So I think that's um, he's recognized, right, guys? He's recognized that part of his game and his ability to uh, to get on from that side. Uh, Nick York has gotten off to a bit of a slow start this year, especially when making contact, except with uh, striking out 17 times the first 45 at-bats. But since the start of June, now is hitting 383 and only 15 strikeouts total in his past 25 games. Uh, did you notice any adjustments um, or, or things from his slow start to now that you've just kind of seen him improve at? Or is it just more of a um, you know talent getting used to the level and, and winning out? Yeah, Keaton, that's a good question. I actually asked him this in our Sox Talks interview. Um, and he actually, he told me, you know, there wasn't any adjustments he made. He said he was confident he would make, um, he would, you know, find success in what he was doing. So I think, you know, at a young age like that, you know, you've seen guys like like uh, Anthony Volpe, like even Derek Jeter struggle at that age. And when you're 18 years old playing a professional baseball, it's not easy. Um, but I think he's been able to just fight through, you know, some of those demons adjusting to professional baseball. Um, that it's been, you know, he's finally come into himself a little bit more. And you know, he's finding a lot more success. Yeah, and Kevin, it seemed like he really held his own both at the alternate site, the reports that we were hearing from there. And then he was invited to spring training and, you know, the couple of at-bats that they gave him, he was working counts. I know that he laced a single into right field in one of the videos that I saw. So, you know, you saw the the strikeouts early and some of the, the swing and miss, um, you know, it could have been just that year off, just not having consistent play since last March that I think a lot of players have dealt with. And I, I like you mentioned some of those names, but just the more reps that you get um for everybody it's just been such a, a strange past year and a half 
Yeah, I actually have talked to a couple scouts about this, and you can almost for hitters, there's so much, you know, they've had they haven't had that year of what 500 at bats, right, to adjust to professional hitting. So, um, right. talking to those scouts, it's like you can't really judge hitters or you can't really judge position players like that that haven't had that year. So guys like Nick Northcutt, who's you know 21, 22 years of age, who came into the league and you know struggled a little bit maybe in Lowell, and you have that year off, it's tough to adjust again and you're getting older right so it's hard to judge hitters and you kind of have to give them time to adjust to the pitching and give them those time that time to have those at bats and Nick I think is you know a great example of coming around especially here midway into the season because a lot of young guys will taper off after a hot start so he's an excellent example and um, you know making that jump is harder than a lot of people think so it's really impressive. Yeah. And, you know, defensively and on the base pass, he's nine, 9 for 12 on steal so far this year, which is actually kind of a trend with a few of the players down there that we'll talk about in a bit. But how has he looked defensively and on the base pass to you? Yeah, he's been solid defensively. Um, I think he's eight errors, 95% fielding percentage. So I think, uh, yeah, he's been solid. Um, obviously not perfect, but uh, you won't get that out of a – 19-year-old kid. Um, so he's been solid base path-wise. He's got speed, right? A lot of our guys have speed. So, um, you know, he's been he's been able to steal some bags when he gets on. Um, Luke likes to do a lot of hit and runs. So we've seen that a lot of that from um, our guys. But, uh, yeah, when he gets on, he's definitely a threat. You know, really m- my favorite pitching prospect in the organization that I was looking forward to seeing this year and hoping to make a leap was Aldo Ramirez. And he lived up to that hype, or at least my expectations uh, or hopes for him in the early part of the season. He had a 2.03 ERA in eight starts and in the last three starts did not give up a run in any of them and really seemed to be hitting a stride. I think he's 20 years old. Um, Then reports of elbow tendonitis, any kind of risk of serious injury that you've heard with Ramirez, um, or are they just kind of playing it cautiously, I guess is the first question before I get into how he looked this season. Yeah, I know with injuries like these, they they usually keep their cards pretty close to the vest. Um, They don't really, they kind of just share with me what the situation is. And don't tell me the you know the seriousness of it or when he's coming back, because um, I know that was the situation with Nick Decker. Um, just told me he had a groin injury and he'd be back. He on a rehab stint, he'd be back. So, and now he is, and it's you know it's been a couple months. So I think with Aldo, they definitely don't want to rush him into anything at all. Um, a young top pitching prospects like that, which is you know far and wide in the Red Sox organization. So I think with him. Right now, I, I don't know a whole lot about him. I know he's on the aisle right now, and he's struggling with that um, arm injury. So we'll see about him. I am not 100% on where he's going. But I can speak about how he's done so far this year. Yeah, and you can understand why they would be cautious. You know, we've talked plenty about uh, Brian Mata and Thad Ward, and then you've got Tanner Houck was down for a bit, and Connor Siebold and Bizarro, and so many of these being arm injuries that – um, you understand why they would play it cautiously, and we've kind of talked about with all of those injuries. It was Aldo and it was Brian Bayo were really the at the forefront of the healthy pitching prospects in the system, and now that's down to one. So 
hoping that Ramirez is okay. Um, when he was healthy, you know, how did his, he seems like a command and control pitcher and with the changeup was billed as his best secondary pitch. So um, how have you thought these pitches looked, his changeup, and, and how does his command look in person? I think to your point too, like the Red Sox need starting pitching, um, young starting pitching. So he's definitely crucial in his development. So yeah, they are definitely not rushing him back. Um, how he's looked, uh, I will say our starting pitching has been solid. Um, the high point of our season, I think, has been our relief pitching. Luke Montz talks a lot about how impressive that that has been, um, just being able to shut down teams in the late innings. Um, but with Aldo, I think he's been consistent. He's been um, – he showed his stuff, right? So he's been a guy who – you know, his numbers don't show it, right? And again, another young guy, right? So you've got to give him a chance to adjust. His numbers don't show it, but his stuff has been there. The fastball's been there. The changeup's been there, as you mentioned. Um, and it's more flash than anything. He's been able to fool guys, and you can tell he's sometimes at another level than other starting pitchers or other relief pitchers are at. Um, but you can definitely see his potential. And, you know, we, had, we didn't have a, a lot of time to look at him before the inter- injury, but... Um, the numbers don't show it, but you can definitely see the projectability. Nick Decker was a guy um, who I know that a lot of Red Sox fans were interested in uh, keeping tabs on, and then last year had the wrist injury uh, that really kind of dug into his uh, playing time. Uh, you mentioned that you also had a kind of injury uh, now, but from when uh, Nick Decker is on the field, uh, what are you seeing from him, and is the you know, Sox fans' excitement pretty justified? Yeah, he's... Uh... He's special. He's again. I haven't seen him as much either. He went down pretty early in the season. A lot of left-handed power. You know, he's not a big guy, but he can bomb balls to the right field wall. I mean, it's super impressive um, what he can do. Speed too. You know, he plays center field. He's got the speed similar to Rafaela. Not quite with Jimenez, but um, takes good uh, good tracks to the balls. So a lot of power from the left side. I think that's the most impressive thing, right? Because he doesn't have a big build, but. Um, yeah, he's able to spray the ball too, um, but a lot of power from the left-handed side. The two pitchers that the Red Sox picked in the 2020 uh, shortened draft are also there, Shane Johan and Jeremy Wu Yellen. What have you seen from those two guys? Um, two solid guys. Jeremy has been one of our top-end starters. Um, sometimes struggles with the arm side control, um, but that will come with time, right? Simple adjustments. The minor leagues are all about simple adjustments. Don't make any drastic adjustments, but guys who have the tools and you can adjust them a little bit, right? So I think with, uh, with Jeremy, he's coming along well. Shane, you know, both lefties, the stuff's there. Um, and I got to go back and look at their numbers, but I think their numbers are pretty solid. I know Wu Yellen just had a rough outing a couple outings ago. So we're actually going to interview him on our Sox Talks episode. Um, coming up this week um so we'll talk to him a little bit more but um, both solid guys both guys that come from the left side and um you know our pitching has been a, a high point in our in our season so far so i think there's a lot of guys you can you can uh you can look for that are are not really on red Sox fans radar yeah and just to go along with that uh chi young lu came up recently and i know that he's only made one start but that's another name. I think that he started in the, the rookie ball, um, maybe for a start or two. Um, he was 
reportedly throwing about 100 and then lost a lot of that velocity last year. And it sounded like that he was starting to get that um, back to the mid to upper 90s I did see recently. I know it's only been one start. I'm not sure whether you even covered that game, but have you heard anything uh, on Lou? Uh, little to nothing on him. Yeah, I, I do the home games, right? So we don't send a, a broadcaster on the road, and that started out it's a COVID situation. So, um, yeah, I just do the home games. I did not see his start, no, but um, I'm, I'm excited to see him this, uh, this coming week. Great. Moving on to um, the draft from – this year now, um, Red Sox drafted Marcelo Meyer at number four. Uh, seemed like a bit of a surprise for him to be there. As there was a lot of other names linked to the Red Sox, and uh, a lot of people figured it was going one-one. Um, would you like to see him be assigned to Salem next spring? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I assume he's going to be in the FCL this for the remainder of this year. Um, I don't think they'd bring him up to Salem this year. But um, I'd assume he'd start in Salem next spring. Um, but a uh, lot of, you know, I'm high on this guy. I think there was the shortstop. There were so many shortstops in this draft. It was so deep. Yeah. And there was what I think I was last night they were saying at least five or six guys could have gone number one. And it's all about, um, you know, how much you're going to pay these guys, right? And you're going to sign for the slot value. So I think that definitely factored into a lot of, but this guy could have gone number one. So, I mean, I assume we'd see him in Salem next year um, as he develops, but I'm really excited about this guy. And uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that kind of took everybody by surprise. You looked at most of the scouting reports and then most of the mock drafts and he was one or two across the board. And a lot on our preview shows the last couple of weeks, we didn't say a whole lot, if anything, about Mayer because it just didn't seem like he would be there. So I think it was pretty surprising to everybody. Um, Once Leiter was gone, I thought I thought it was going to be Lawler. I thought the Red Sox were going to try to get Lawler. Yeah, it was the um, Job was kind of the curveball, and that's your guy, Keaton. So I'm sure you weren't yeah. surprised. <laughs> well, I was kind of surprised, um, but over the last couple weeks leading up to the draft, the Tigers were linked to Job like extensively. They were very into him, so that part didn't surprise me. I guess initially, because um, I don't remember when it was that you had me on the the uh, Socks on Deck pod, but I talked to him, talked about Job as like a potential reach for the Red Sox at number four because he was projected to be more of like a mid round guy uh, and a, a yep. high school arm. I mean, he for whatever normal risks typically come with high school pitchers. Um, he doesn't have a lot of that. He's like wildly polished, uh, but it still seemed like a risk within the top four. Um, but then Detroit just kind of lasered in on him, so that that part wasn't a surprise. So after Leiter went number two, I was, was just kind of like, "Holy crap!" <laughs> I think the Red Sox are going to get the best player in the draft. Right, I know that was it unfolded quickly after you spend months reading all of these things and just all went haywire in five minutes. Um, Kevin, did you have any additional thoughts about, and I know that this was today, uh, Judd Fabian went in the, the second round from Florida. Um, didn't know if you had any thoughts about the draft or um, any players that, that you're looking forward to seeing beyond that. Might be kind of an on-the-fly question for you, as I know the draft was earlier today. Um, I watched only last night, right? I'm uh, Yeah. Yeah, I did not see yesterday or today. Um, 
But no, Mayer's, I'm super excited about him. I think he's, I mean, he had a grand slam in his last high school at bat. I think that's pretty cool. Um, he looks like that guy from Succession. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Is that it from? I haven't even oh, seen the show, I need to but I saw, the, I saw so many photos about it. The comparison. Jamie look Strong, I think. So. Yeah, yeah, look it up. It's, Jeremy, it's, or Jeremy Strong? Jamie Strong? Shoot. I don't know, but it, yeah. it's identical. I know the guy you're talking about. Yeah, it's identical. That's my, uh, that's my expert take on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I need to do more Googling, clearly. <laughs> I thought I could get that in 10 seconds, but I couldn't. Um, before... We get on. We we're going to ask you about a couple of rules changes and how they have affected single A so far or low A. Um, do you have a, a best Joe Davis story? Because I've been fascinated by watching highlights and interviews with him, and um, I don't. I'm trying to think of the best comp, and I think of players like Matt Stairs and Rowdy Telez and just some big dudes. But I mean, his numbers are outstanding. He has close to. What fifty RBIs? I think in the forty-five RBIs, yeah, in forty-five games. So, um, does Davis? Do you think he'll jump a level? And do you have any any good stories for Joe? He's the best, isn't he? He's uh, he's fun to watch. He's um, he, yeah. I mean, the consistency, right? It seems like he's driving in a run and has at least two hits in every game. Um, right. I know. I'm actually interviewing him this week too, so I'll interview him tomorrow, and that'll go up on our site um, later this week. But I have a couple stories. So he actually fixes up trucks in the mean in his uh, during quarantine. I think he did. So we'll talk about that in our interview, and I'll I'll refer to the I'll refer I'll actually ask this question about his comparisons to Rowdy Telez and um and Matt Stairs. I want to see who he compares himself to because I haven't asked him that question yet. Yeah, I was I was trying to think of some names without being offensive or anything. You know, he's just he's a big <laughs> strong dude. That's all it is. <laughs> Um, yeah, here's a story. So we had a rain was coming into the area when we started the game. I think it was seven o'clock game and blew it. I think the game got delayed in about the bottom of the third and it was two hour and 15 minute rain delay. And we had, we stranded runners on first and third with one out, came back. We're down three runs. Joe Davis is the first guy who comes up first pitch blast went over the center field wall didn't end there though he hit two three-run homers in that game and i mean he's just a fan favorite right you can tell he's a guy who who charms um the fans day in day out with his bat and and that smile so you know what i'm gonna ask him about the comparisons on uh tomorrow so he'll, he'll mix in a good mustache every now and then too i've seen <laughs> and uh in terms of him getting promoted i mean you know i think Guys like Jack Scrotians, um, projectable pitchers, Brandon Walter, we've seen that. Um, you know, they definitely have their eye on Joe Davis, but it's obvious that um, there's some talent in front of him over at that first base spot in Greenville. So it's, you know, it's tough, but um, his success has been awesome to watch. Uh, Major League Baseball is trying out a bunch of different rule changes uh, throughout the minors this, this year. The one that you're seeing at your level is the two pickoff attempts per batter. Uh, what has that been like? Um, and have you noticed any changes and how was that received um, by the pitchers? Yeah, we talked about this a little bit before we came on. Um, to be honest, it hasn't made much of a difference in terms of 
um, the base running. I think we just have, you know, fast guys. We mentioned Nick York, Sedane Rafaela, um, Gilberto Jimenez, and these are guys who can just steal bags. We mentioned that Luke Montz likes to put on the hit and run a whole lot. So I don't think the limit to pickoffs, pickovers over to first has, um, you know, increased our base stealing ability. But I do think uh, that our guys like to run, and Luke lets them run. Yeah, and to put some context with that, Rafaela has 16 steals, and Matthew Lugo has 12, Gilberto Jimenez has 10, and Nick York has 9. So, um, and, and I do know at that level, sometimes there's some shakier catching arms, and in general, you see some inflated stolen base totals sometimes with, you know, a player might have 40-grade speed and still be in double digits or something along those lines. But, um, you know, the, the, the rules changes going into the season where they increase the size of the bases at one of the levels and I know they were adjusting shifts and robot umps and, and just different things that you're seeing at different levels so we weren't sure whether it had a, a major change in the game but it sounded like it didn't and these are great too these these changes made at the minor league levels um, to just try things out and I like how they're making a different change to every level or a different part um, or a different league in the level so that it's kind of it's almost an experiment right to find out, um, you know, which works and, and how each changes the game. And that was started right by the Atlantic League. So it's, I think the, the changes they're, they're making at our level are, are good and good for the game. Yeah, it sounds like uh, Theo Epstein has uh, some ideas and that he was behind a lot of this. It was interesting reading kind of his thoughts. And he just wants to see the, the ball in play more often, which I think is between that and the pitch clock that I would love to see make its way up to the major leagues because you go to a minor league game and it's just night and day compared to what we see at Fenway Park. Um, so I, I think all of this will be good, you know, just like you said, test these things out in the minor leagues um, and determine what works before you move the mound back or do something super drastic, you know. Great. Well, uh, is there anything else um, you want to wrap up about uh, Salem or uh, anything else you want to plug before uh, we let you go? Um, I'm good. We have the, uh, I present socks talks on our website. So episodes three, four, and five will be coming out this week. Um, so I'll put that on my Twitter at KD five as well. And you can follow me as well for any Salem Red Sox updates. Um, we're, we're four back right now. So if you guys care about standings, we're four back of the Delmarva Shorebirds. So we're in the running of, of something here. So. Are they doing any playoffs this year, or have they reconsidered that? Because it sounded like it wasn't going to happen, at least when the season was starting. Yeah, it's. I uh, I think it's up in the air right now. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, All right. Well, Kevin D. Domenico, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. Had fun. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much for Kevin DiDomenico helping us out, uh, giving us a nice look out on the farm. Great guest. Check out his Twitter uh, and check out those Sox Talk videos. Get some insight into some of the, the Red Sox prospects down there. Uh, moving on to your regularly scheduled content. First half review. The Boston Red Sox currently sit number one atop the AL East. A uh, game and a half ahead of uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. Eight up on both the Blue Jays and the Yankees, and 26 ahead of the Orioles. Um, Bob, this is a little bit better than I had predicted in the preseason. Uh, I had predicted them to be about a 500 team, and they are throwing it in my face. Uh, how have they performed so far to your preseason expectations? Oh, I had them on pace for 100-plus wins, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I expected them – I did expect over 500. I was more in like that 84, 85 win range because I felt that Core made such a huge difference and would make a huge difference in how hard the players play with him and how well he communicates and um, just – Generally, compared to, you know, no disrespect to Renicky, but I wasn't even sure if he was alive in the dugout half the time last year. <laughs> so I felt that he was going to be the difference of, you know, five games by by himself. And I think that he has been that. You just, you forget how good it was to have Cora around. And you, you understand, you know, everything that unfolded and he did his time, but he's back and he's working the umpires and he's... um you know, supporting the veterans, and you can just kind of tell that that he has such a huge difference, and he, I feel like he takes the pitcher out at the right time most of the time. Um, so no, I didn't see them tied for the best record in the American League. You know, within percentage points of the White Sox and the Astros, they're all pretty much right in the same spot. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I thought their window, and I think Heim Bloom probably thinks their window starts next year, especially when they can get back above the tax and spend some free agent money and get some things cleared off the books. But this is just playing with house money right now. That is a great way to describe it. That's exactly how I feel. Um, that said, I think that the, the the team will fade. I think it is strong enough. The pitching has obviously been uh, both the bullpen and the starting pitching has been the biggest story of the season. Um the bullpen being one of the best in Major League Baseball after being one of the worst for so long was not something that I foresaw. But, man, does it feel good to have guys at the back end of the game that can come in and close it out and you don't have to you know, hold your seat every time they come in. Yeah, and it's a good point. I mean, if you talk about what has surprised most in terms of you know different aspects of the team, certainly the starting pitching, um, and we have a hopefully – a boost, a certain player that's going on a rehab assignment that will uh, make it even better. But also the defense, you know, the outfield defense and some of the 
montages we've seen out there over the last week since they made about eight throws on the West Coast trip that were all yeah. incredible between Renfro and um, Kike, which the best of the bunch might have been the one on the walk-off sack fly where he was seemingly almost at the warning track and still threw a one-hopper to the plate. Um, you know, they, the teams need to learn to stop running on these guys, and even JD is throwing his hat in there with a couple of yeah. throws. Um, so that has been, I mean, certainly the rotation, but just the defense, especially in the outfield. Kike making a couple diving catches earlier this week. So uh, that's blown me away more than anything is just how they've tightened things up out there. Something else that's been kind of underrated to me is the health of the starting pitching. Um, with the exception of Eduardo Rodriguez joining, you know, a couple weeks late, it's been the same five guys the whole year. And given the rate at which we're seeing injuries uh, across the league this year, that seems absolutely wild. That coupled with the guys in the rotation have significant injury histories all to their own, and they've been able to avoid it, be healthy. Uh, and that's led to a, a, just a tremendous amount of success from the starters. Yeah, and they've needed it with all of the, the injuries in the um, in the minor leagues. And I don't really trust anyone they have up there like Andres to make a spot start. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they've needed those guys to be out there every fifth day. And you're absolutely right. I mean, it's the two Hulk starts early on. And I was thinking it's kind of reminiscent of the 2013 team. Not only that they have seemingly overachieved, I think we would all agree with that, not to say that there's a fall off coming, but beyond expectations. But that team in 2013, everybody was taking the ball every fifth day between Lester and Lackey and and Dempster, um, Felix Dubron. Peavy, there you go. Yeah. And yeah, down the stretch, Peavy gave them some some good starts, and they didn't have any injuries that year. So yeah, knock on wood. But that's such an important thing, and like you said, with injuries across the league, and then also how few innings everybody threw last year, um, I think they will adjust that a little bit. It sounds like Hulk will come up, maybe do a six-man rotation for these 18 games against the AL East teams coming up and try to get some outings out of Hauk uh, and keep, because you have to think, unless there is a colossal collapse, they are seven, eight games ahead of the the second wildcard spot. I mean, even beyond looking at the division. So they, they have to keep the innings in check and look forward to October while still trying to win the division and avoiding a one-game wildcard. Yeah, um, so let's get into a bit of a review. Every preseason and postseason, we do some superlatives for the team, so we'll do some midseason check-ins on that now, and uh, Bob and I will go through our superlatives for the first half of the season, starting with MVP. Bob, who'd you pick? Pick J.D. Martinez. This was a tough one. There are so many, um, and so many in the lineup, but... JD set the tone and he carried them, th- especially through April. I mean, he was at a record-setting pace in April and slowed off, uh, slowed down a little bit. But just looking, I mean, his weighted runs created plus is 145 still, even with falling off a little bit there. He's got the 18 home runs. He's walking 10.5 percent of the time in 84 games. He's been on the field. He has played outfield for them when they needed to give players an off day. 
He's hitting 300. Um, you know, I think that there's three MVP names that you could easily make a case for, but especially with just where things were at with JD and almost wondering, you know, would they be better off if he opted out after the season last year? I mean, you can tell that the comments about the video review that they're now able to do again. And you heard Ortiz talk about that in, in passing a little bit, like, yeah, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't have been the hitter that I am. And so many players kind of back JD up about that. Obviously that was really important to him. And at 33 years old, he is making a case for himself to continue to get, get paid the way that he is for several more years. Yeah. It's a great pick. There's a lot of guys, like you said, that could, uh, kind of fall into this MVP category, which is a great it's a great thing for the Red Sox to have. I went with Rafael Devers, um, right. who for the first time really didn't get off to a slow start, kind of hit the ground running, and we're kind of seeing like what his ceiling can be when he is like as strong as he can be for an entire season. 22 homers so far. He's walking the most that he ever has in his career, striking out the least. Um, and, you know, Jake in the preseason predicted that um, Devers would be in like top three an MVP by, uh, at the end of the year for the voting for the award. And I, I don't think he's that far off from it, especially if he has a second half like he has had this first half. I mean, he'd be pushing close to 40 homers with it and close to 290, 300. That, that's just a massive amount of talent. So um, His defense, I went too. With, yeah, and his defense massively improved to the, to the point where he's uh, a very positive uh, defensive rating which is something that um last season he was um by fangraphs mark was minus five uh and he's plus three right now which is such a massive swing in a short amount of time uh you know he started off the year you know we've seen him kind of like when he's struggling at the plate he struggles on the field and they kind of feed off each other and his whole game either is going really well or can kind of go poorly and he started off through the first series i think he had three errors and it looked like yeah. it was going to be another really slow defensive start, but he fixed that all of those issues incredibly quickly. And now to go from a, I think at his lowest, he was close to minus four at some point uh, during the season. Now he's turned that all, all the way around. Really he impressive to, to see uh, all facets of his game. Seems to play his way into shape more than, than yeah. uh, anyone else on the team. The uh, If you look at the OPSs, Keaton, Xander's at 930. JD is at nine twenty six and Devers is at nine thirteen. I mean, flip a coin, flip a three sided coin uh, for who your <laughs> yeah. MVP is. Yeah, exactly. Um, next one is best pitcher. Who is your pick for best pitcher? I'm going to go with Nate Evaldi. Um, just, I mean, he's their starting pitcher, all star. He's thrown a hundred and three innings. Um, nine and five with a three point six six ERA. He's had a couple of blowups, and there's some games where he gives up a ton of hits. But you know, two Tommy John surgeries and a huge contract that at times seemed like it was a reward for past performance for what he did in the playoffs um, a few years back in in 2018 in their World Series season, and it was hard to justify the contract at times, and he has done that and more this year. Um, He's got a whip of 1.23. He's striking batters out at a a decent clip, you know, not overpowering for someone that throws as hard as he does, but he's just going deep into games. Some of the games that he threw with Connor Wong, which is kind of a sneaky aspect of things there, that every time Wong catches him, he's going seven 
eight innings into the game. Uh, I think he's the main one that I look at, though, that they need to keep his innings in check at 103 right now. We don't want him hovering near 200, especially since he's throwing in the All-Star game. So I'm hoping maybe that he's, you know, fourth, fifth pitcher out of the break. I'm not sure if they've totally set that in stone yet, but I'd like to see them keep him closer to 180, 190 because they're going to need him in October. Yeah, and that's kind of another piece that feels like it's playing with house money is um, all of these guys are like on pace to pitch the most innings that they have in like five years, with the exception of Erod, who you know just got over 200 um, kind of recently. So that managing everybody's injuries and things like that is going to be real big over the last you know 40 yeah. whatever we have however many games, way more than 40, like 70 games. <laughs> Uh, my pick for best pitcher was Matt Barnes, um, who I'll, I'll talk about in another section of this. Uh, Matt Barnes finally figured out how to not walk batters, and we are seeing the fruits of that success blossom. Um, we talked a lot about the need for uh, a back-end pitcher for the bullpen and how um, we didn't think Matt Barnes was likely to be that guy. Um Leading over the last three seasons, leading the Major League Baseball in blown saves. Um, and all that is behind him. And he has pitched far beyond any of my expectations, for sure. Uh, with a K per nine at like 15, that, that's like Chapman hater levels. That's just wild. And then to pair that with a two and a half walk rate is incredible for a reliever. And I mean, to think the past two years, that's half as many walks um, per nine as he's had the last two years. Um, and it was four and a half, you know, three years ago. So just the massive amounts of improvement that he's made there and seeing the success is, uh, you know, completely locked down the back end. And we don't really feel worried when he comes in to save a game. And we know that, you know, he's got it locked up, which is a great just cashed feeling. in on that, too. Yeah, exactly. We're getting the extension for sure. Uh, next up is Defensive Wizard. Who is your pick for Defensive Wizard? I'm going to go with Hunter Renfro. Uh, what I have to pick an outfielder after the way that I was just talking them up, but Renfro, both with the glove and with the arm, and watching him throw from the outfield, it doesn't matter if he's going left or right, back or forward, and where the runner's going. He's got the arm to make the throw, um, regardless of which way that his momentum is taking him. I've been amazed by the the throws that he's made this year. He's made some nice catches, um, you know, just such a big dude and has the power behind it to make those throws. Um, you, This is another spot where there's not an obvious candidate, but, uh, the, you know, especially in the outfield, but I'm going to go with Renfro. Yeah, there is a few... Um, that you could have picked. I went with Verdugo because that's who I had picked um, in the beginning of the season. Uh, but I, I don't think Renfro is a bad pick there either. I mean, at one point, um, Renfro and Verdugo were one and two in the American League uh, or uh, MLB in outfield assists. And the plays that they've been making, Verdugo's had a couple really nice diving catches recently. Uh, as well as gunning guys out around the base paths. The outfield defense with the Red Sox has been another one of those really underrated pieces of the team's success. Uh, and so I definitely feel the same as you. I had to go with an outfielder there and um, went with Verdugo. as he yeah. was just my preseason pick there. Great but choice. Renfro was a great pick there, too. Biggest surprise. 
positive. Who'd you go with? I'm going to go with Nick Pavetta. Um, you know, coming into the season, I didn't have the highest expectations for Pavetta. I thought he might, may or may not be the guy that we would be waiting on sale to come back. And now I think he might be the second best starter, or at least he has been so far. Uh, seven and four with a 4.30. He's the one whose strikeout rate has been excellent. You know, 10.6 per nine, struck out 113 in 96 innings. And before his last outing, I mean, he had the the no-hitter into the sixth or seventh, and then he had another outing uh, into the, through seven innings, and he's just been going more and more deep into games. I think early in the year, I was just like, get to five, you know, try to get to five, get the win. Um, and he was grinding through certain games. But you, I think the season really picked up a notch for him when he beat DeGrom against the Mets. I mean, he went toe-to-toe for him, and I feel like he mentally felt that he was as good as DeGrom when he stepped on the mound that day. And He's got such an edge to him on the field, off the field. Um, He's been a really pleasant surprise, and what a ripoff of a trade that was getting getting Pavetta (laughs) for the relievers, and then one of the relievers is back. And I think, what was it? Hembry and Workman, right? Workman's yeah, back. Yeah, work, Workman's and, back with the Red Sox, and Hembry's now the closer for the Reds and hasn't given right. up a run in like 14 appearances. Yeah. So let me know who saw it unfolding that way. Uh, it, everybody is just nowhere near where we were expecting them to be when that trade was made last August. So. Um, shout out to Josh Taylor though, because I was ready to release him <laughs> week into the season when he, I know he didn't pitch a whole lot last year, but he got hit around like no one you'd see all year in those first three appearances and then going 20 some odd appearances without allowing a run. So Taylor has been the biggest surprise for me since the first week of the year. Honestly, this one was like the hardest superlative to pick because there are so many guys who are like outperforming my expectations. Yeah, um, that it was hard. But I went back to to Matt Barnes here because um, I had zero faith in his ability to close out a game, and he's completely shoved it in my face. And uh, every time he comes out now, I don't worry about the game being in the balance. He's been that kind of shut down closer and his curveball has just been stupid filthy yeah all year so that was a big surprise for me moving on to the bummer part biggest disappointment who was your choice for that yeah and i'll apologize in advance but it's it's garrett richards i'm sorry keaton um <laughs> and i know i was messaging you from fenway the other night after he gave up a triple and a double to open the game and i wanted him got out the, the win. first he got the win he fought through it and uh i managed to have a great time so the uh it's just, I feel like he might get dealt in a couple of weeks, maybe to the National League for a middling prospect or something. But he has fought after they made the, the changes with the uh, the sticky stuff and the baseball. Just seemed like a lot of complaining. He was complaining about the cold weather early in the year, and then it was too sweaty in a different outing, and then the ball and all of that, and... The stats, we've got a 4.91 ERA and a 1.68 whip, which is pretty alarming in my opinion. So I just have not enjoyed the Garrett Richards experience. I don't blame you. <laughs> I don't blame you. Um, for Tell me, me I'm went... wrong. <laughs> I mean, well, you're not. But unfortunately, there was also like multiple candidates that could be picked for this one. I went with the one that hurts the most, and Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, yeah. 
even coming off of uh, all of his troubles with missing 2020 and coming back from COVID and, and all of the, the struggles that he had, um, you know, he was healthy or at least reported to be healthy very early on in uh, the offseason, had a full offseason of uh, just his normal uh, routine. Um, and we were really looking for him to build on the success that he had in 2019. Uh, and it's been a big struggle. It has been a lot better recently. His ERA is now under six. And his FIP and XFIP are significantly better than his 5.52 ERA suggests. So um, I know almost every single time he has an outing, Jerry Remy talks about how he's just been unlucky. There's probably a little bit of truth to that. Uh, yeah. But um, at least he does also have the highest bad BIP of his career. But it's also you know him needing to perform. And uh, he just kind of hasn't been able to do that. Yeah, I mean, the BABIP's going to be high when you're leaving balls in the middle of the plate. I think the last, I really did think the last four starts before the break that he looked a lot better. Uh, the last one wasn't great, but he gave up some bloopers in the first inning. And I thought the first five or so innings he pitched well before he gave up the, the two home runs and ended up giving up four in that game, I think. But before that, he had three quality starts in a row. And I want to say it was the Oakland game, one of the ones out on the West Coast, where he was hitting spots. I felt like he was hitting all four corners and looked like Erod again. So we'll see. I, I think that's a good choice. 5.52 ERA, it's hard to argue with that. But he has gotten a little bit unlucky, and I think he looked better going into the break and that he's going to have a lot better second half. Yeah, it's certainly trending in a good direction for him. Yep. And lastly, for our superlatives... Um, Unsung hero, who'd you pick? I'm going to go with Christian Arroyo. And mainly just the number of clutch hits that he had. Pinch hit appearances, grand slams, um, you know, just fired up crossing home plate. Some of the best bat flips I've seen in this town in a long time. Uh, I've loved watching Arroyo. And I knew... I was, I was glad that he made the team, and I was glad that he could be kind of a bench player for them, but I didn't realize how clutch he was going to be. I don't know if anybody was expecting him to be that clutch, that he gets up late in games, and he, he's the player that you want up there as much as anybody because you just have it fresh in your head that, wow, he got a huge hit, and there's another one. He did it probably five times in a two-week span, went on the IL, and then his first at-bat off the IL, he homered again. So he's had such a kind of a small sample size because of the injuries, and it seems like he's a magnet just getting hit by pitches all the time and has ended up on the IL a couple of different times. Um, but when he's out there, it just seems like he's had all of the big hits this season. Well, he's played in 47 games, right? But he's hitting 264 and he's got five homers, and I think they've all been clutch. Yeah, a lot of big hits from him. I went with Garrett you? Whitlock. Yeah. Um, Garrett Whitlock is a guy that um, we weren't expecting a whole lot from, being a Rule 5 guy. We knew he was going to be around on the roster. Uh, was Had a really hot spring, which gave us a lot of hope, and he's just kind of kept that going. Um, he's been used in a whole bunch of different ways. He's been used as a, you know, a, a long reliever to spell guys with short outings. He's come in in high-leverage situation. He's even gotten a save. Uh, and he's just pretty much dominated the entire the entire time from day one one yeah 1.44 era uh he doesn't walk people k per nine almost 10 it's just been wildly impressive in the um you know alex cora 
we know loves those utility guys in the field, can move them around. But he also loves that role with the bullpen as well. Um, and we've talked a lot about finding that like Andrew Miller, Josh Hader type guy. Uh, and I think they found it. I think this is the guy. Uh, every time he comes in, it ends up being, uh, in some form or fashion, big innings, and he powers through them and comes out on top. So it's it just, I can't talk enough about the bullpen, um, <laughs> which is, we've talked a significant amount about how bad they've been. And now I feel like I need to just as much talk about how good they've been because they really have been tremendous and he's been a huge part of it. Yeah. I mean, if they were, if the, there was a playoff game tomorrow, you know, Wild card, one game playoff. Who do you want pitching the eighth ahead of Barnes? Yeah, it's Whitlock for me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, and surprisingly, Josh Taylor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And Ottavino has been very good, but I don't know. I trust Whitlock more than just about anybody. Yeah, it's it's all about the consistency, right? Like Josh Taylor has been really inconsistent. He's been really bad, and he's been really freaking good. Same with Ottavino and Darwin's and Hernandez. But the two most consistent have been Whitlock and Barnes. Yep, with you. All right, um, some other recent roster news here that we'll just hit on before we get into um, a, a touch of the draft and some listener questions. Uh, the Red Sox sent uh, Michael Chavis down, Danny Santana, Matt and Andres to uh, the IL, Kevin Plowecki, Austin Bryce. Uh, oh, no, sorry, Chavis is back. Uh, I cut off who the person was. There was somebody else that who did... Um, Oh, my God. Connor Wong. <laughs> there we go. Connor Wong sent down. Danny Santana, Matt Andrews to the IL. Chavis Plawecki back and Austin Bryce back. What do you think about that swap? Uh, Austin Bryce for Matt Andrews. Obviously, uh, Austin Bryce right before last game before the All-Star break got uh, hit up a little bit there to close out that game against Philly. Yeah, Bryce had been very good at AAA when they sent him back down. Uh, I think he'd only given up a run or two in, you know, 10, 15 outings. Starting to feel like a very good AAA pitcher and a below average major league pitcher. Um, I don't think it's the worst thing if he's the last relief pitcher on your team. But, you know, if that's Phillips Valdez or whoever that ends up being, I think that we're going to see some other names come up. Houck's going to come up. He might end up as the another bullpen arm. Hopefully we see Bizarro later on. So I think these are just names that they're going to continue to swap in and out and off of the 40-man roster and just kind of holding the bench for whoever's next. Yeah, uh, I think I'm with you on that. I don't miss um, Matt Andrees, though. I, I don't know if it was a hamstring or hurt feelings that they put him on the I.L. with. Yeah, uh, moving on to the draft, um, Bob and uh, Shelly are going to do a more in-depth look, so we'll just kind of touch on it. We actually we got a listener question, which is basically what I was going to ask Bob anyway. Listener question of the most intriguing guy drafted, not name Marcelo or Jud. For me, this is their fifth-round pick, uh, Nathan Hickey. He is a catcher from Florida, um, a sophomore of Florida. I do not believe he is going to stay a catcher, and most of the scouting reports also say that. However, his comp is really interesting, and it's uh, Kyle Schwarber, who um, won a World Series with the Cubs, was hit like 17 home runs in June for the Nationals this year before pulling a hamstring. Uh, but uh, Schwarber was also a catcher, but was just too bulky to remain at the position. Same thing with Hickey. 
but he has really tremendous raw power as well as some swing and miss to him. But I think um, if he can basically follow that Schwarber uh, projection and become uh, that kind of hitter, that's a really intriguing guy to have in your lineup every day and probably a great future DH. So that that one is interesting to me just for the excitement of the power. Um, definitely not the uh, not staying a catcher, but still an interesting bat for them to grab. So that was the guy that stuck out to me. Yeah, and even beyond that power, I saw he had 42 walks to 20 strikeouts, um, 435 on base percentage. I mean, they must have, I think Fabian kind of fell in their laps a little bit, but they must have liked what they saw when they were scouting Florida this year. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, do you have anybody? Yeah, no, that was that was mine so far. I need to dive into this a lot more than I have. Um, but like you said, it's going to be, Shelly and I will be talking about this and we've got one more day with the remaining 10 rounds. Um, I guess kind of with the start of the draft, I would think it would be difficult to draw it up any better than they did. Um, you know, not to discredit Bloom in any way, but Mayer and Fabian are just, to me, they were no brainer picks in both spots. I was surprised that both players were there. Um, and I was ecstatic last night being Sunday. And I was ecstatic this afternoon when I saw both of those players there. And, you know, I know Fabian had some swing and miss a little bit early in the season, but seemed like he was back to himself later in the year. And, um, you know, hopefully they can sign both of these guys. I imagine that they would, if they took them in those Fabian in that spot that they, they plan on, even if they need to go a little bit over slot with him, but I was I was pumped with both of those picks. And we have one other draft-related question uh, from Paul Richter, who said, am I the only one who thinks it's weird? They've uh, only picked one pitcher thus far. And I'm assuming that was um, around six or so when that question was sent. Um, they finished the last four rounds picking three pitchers. Uh, but I was not. Um, I mean, this is uh, baseball is so much different than every other sport, and these guys are, are – a minimum two years closer to maybe five years away from actually getting to the majors. So uh, the Red Sox need pitching, but I would expect them to fill that through either trades or free agency uh, and not through the draft. Because any of the guys that were picked, there's there's no way they would be there soon. And by the time um, these guys get close to the majors or about to make their debut, uh, pitching may not be needed anymore. So Yeah, and even the pitcher that they had taken when we got that was um... – Puerto Rican Elmer Rodriguez Cruz I think that was the fourth round maybe um who's yeah. still 17 years old so yeah and you have the the J2 selections that you can supplement that with and so much of this the rounds kind of get interchangeable um you know the eighth ninth and tenth round pitchers that you mentioned that they took three more of them today um you know it, it a lot of times it just depends on the slot and it depends on what you have to pay these players and um split that money up between 20 rounds so it's harder to totally understand when or why they take players at, at the times that they do um but i think when all said and done they'll probably have pretty good split between hitters and pitchers and then you'll have the the offseason to, to have the international players as well which i think normally is in july but it's once again going to be in the winter this year great point i hadn't even mentioned the, the international piece um 
let's get into the rest of the listener questions first. Um, Damien Dyden, Dyden. Sorry if I'm jacking that up. Sure. Uh, is there anything not to like about Hyam Bloom at this point? He's shown skill at finding bargains at the major league and in the draft, shown the willingness to go big in the draft this year and willingness to extend the team's veteran stars. Do we have Andrew Friedman 2.0 here? Well, that was the the hope, right? Going to Tampa and getting a Friedman protege. Uh, I think the yep. only thing left is, uh, you know, landing a whale this offseason uh, when they've they deem they have the money to do so. He was, it was an uphill battle for Bloom because the very first move was trading away, uh, a, you know, once in a generation talent, huge fan favorite um, that people didn't want to leave. And so from then on, all of his moves were going to get overly scrutinized and judged. But uh, Jake and I have both said on this podcast repeatedly that this upcoming offseason is the ones that were really going to judge him, um, knowing his circumstances coming into it. They reset. They're not going to go over this year. Uh, and just the plethora of talent that's available this offseason. Um, yep. If they if they have a, a repeat offseason where they're just adding uh, ancillary pieces and they don't land a whale, I'll start to get frustrated. But certainly has been right on par with what my expectations and hope would be. Yeah, I, I think I was saying earlier just about considering this season that he's playing with house money because I don't. Believe, I, I think he needed two years, and I think that they were, yeah, his first task was to trade bets, and then this year was to stay under the, the luxury tax, so it's like, how much can you do with that amount of money? I mean, he's done as much as he can with these five, six, eight million dollar players that he was able to sign in the offseason. I think that very sneakily, the um, minor league system is double the depth that we had a year ago. Um, I think there's a long way to go with that to get to, you know, Andrew Friedman level where you feel like you always have someone to supplement the player that is in the major leagues if you have an injury or if someone leaves in free agency, which they've continued to be able to do. But yeah, you look at LA and Tampa Bay as, I mean, different amount of money that, that they spend, but, um, you know, kind of similar farm systems and that you just keep seeing one thing after another. Uh, one player after another that can replace somebody if there is an injury or a trade or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I think you got to give him two years and you have to give him free agency this year going into next year. But who knows? I mean, you might already have built something for 2021. So outside of the – I love the Benintendi trade, but outside of that, I think that he has followed a really good process so far. The pesky poll – the poll itself wants to know, when is Jeter Downs ETA to the big leagues? Is it later this season, break camp next year, later next year? What do you think? I don't think it's this season because I think even with <clears> – they don't have the um, – you know, you could say maybe he's a September call-up, but I don't even think that they can extend the rosters much beyond maybe 28 players now. So – and I – think that they already need to find a spot for Duran and figure out how he meshes with that defensive outfield that we were just talking about and make sure that he can be on that same level, which is something that has changed a little bit recently. And I just think that 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 outfield is really on a roll. We'll see whether they still stay healthy, whether that continues. So I think Downs has showed some signs, but the fact that they're letting him play in the Olympics means I don't think a call-up is imminent, and I think it's going to be next season. 
but I'm not even sure if he'll break camp with the team. I ideally, yes, but he's going to have to show a lot, you know, greater strides in the second half and have a strong finish of the season and a strong training camp. Uh, I think he'll definitely be up next year, but I'm not positive that he even breaks camp. But a lot of that will depend on, you know, do they go out and sign Trevor Story and have him play second base or something to to go next to Bogart. So I think free agency will will uh, have a lot to do with that as well. Yeah, he's had a good year at AAA, but it still is shown to be um, a break tough for him. His uh, slash lines: two thirty four, three oh nine, three seventy seven. Um, seven homers, 12 steers, steals looks really nice. Uh, 9% walk rate looks really nice, but it's a lot of swing and miss still there. Um, uh, yep. 29.3% strikeout rate, which obviously is, you know leads into the average OVP and all those things. So I think he's still got a little bit to work on. I don't think a call-up is imminent. He probably has a chance to break camp next year. Again, like you said, they they don't make a major move at second base um, in free agency. Then I think he has a chance, but I would still – say they would probably um keep him down for a bit and then it would probably be like after you know two months closer to, to mid-year um that'll probably be ready yep. that's what it feels like i'm with you and then our last listener question comes from jake uh so do meyer Cassis downs fabian duran york etc win four or five championships together when it's all said and done <laughs> sounds good to me yeah i mean that's after t- today, it's got to be a dynasty, right? You know, that's just in the books at this point. Um, I would love if there are two championships in the next decade. They won two championships in each of the last two decades. So, yeah, I would be very happy if they got two more in the 20s. So let's go with that. Yeah, that sounds good to me. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Thanks to you, Bob, for filling in for Jake. Uh, I look forward to your and Shelly draft breakdown later this week. That'll be really fun. Listen, do you have anything else you want to plug while you're here? Nope. You can follow me on Twitter at BobOzgood15. Thanks for uh, letting me join today, Keaton. This was a blast. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for listening. Uh, We'll be with you again next week. 